Our Old Testament reading this morning is Genesis chapter 15. It is found in page 10 of your pew Bibles. So if you would please follow along in your, in your own Bibles, your pew Bibles, or the scripture sheets. God's covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. <clears throat> Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. But Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On, the, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Now our New Testament reading comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through chapter, all of chapter 4. This is subtitled at the beginning of this passage, The Righteousness of God Through Faith, verse 21 in chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all we who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. <clears throat> in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him 
were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the holy word of God. Thanks. Now that we have heard the word of God read and be reminded that we are sinners saved by grace alone through faith alone, let us confess our sins together. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Lord, have mercy upon us. Forgive us. Cover our sins. Count not our sin against us. Enable us to uphold the law through Christ, our righteousness. Amen. Christian, lift up your head. If you have faith in Christ, hear just the next verses from our scripture reading in Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Amen. Please stand. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you have promised to be here with us this morning. Lord, may you soften our hearts. May you open our ears, our ears to the goodness of the gospel of grace. Lord, there is nothing that we do to deserve your love that you have freely chosen to give it to us. Lord, may your people be a blessing unto the world. We pray for the Shibes there in Northern Ireland. Keep them safe. Renew their faith through your word and the sacraments. We pray for Alan Cochet and his wife as they minister your gospel in France. Bless them. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for our president. that he might seek justice and peace and be merciful as you are merciful. Lord, we pray for our county. We pray for the churches here in Fayette County that they might preach the good news of Jesus, how he is making all things new through his spirit. 
May you bless the children of this county. May each of them learn of their value because they are made in your image. May the children of this county never go a day without knowing that you are Lord. Lord, we pray for our church. May you protect us from the evil one. May our love for you be known by the way that we love others. Lord, we thank you for Joe Anderson and his successful surgery. Continue to make him strong. We pray for Richard Abernathy. Continue to heal him. We pray for Mr. Billy and Mr. Jim. May they know that they are sons of the covenant, heirs to the throne of grace. Lord, I also pray for Richard Owens, the pastor at Westminster Pres in Greenwood, Mississippi. We pray for his surgery tomorrow. May he find his strength and his courage in Christ alone. May we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. How far would you go to convince someone that something is true? We live in the age of information. Everywhere we look, we are gaining more and more information. Whether it's through social media, the news, or through Google. Whether it be books, magazines, wherever you go, we receive information. If you want it, you can get it. Just ask Siri. But at the same time, in the past decade, we've also realized that not all information is created equal. No longer can we go to the places where we receive information and turn around in the same moment and say, this is true. We now live in a time of disinformation. And of course, when someone we know says something or someone that we trust says something, whether this person is on Fox News or CNN or NPR or the BBC or because Facebook is always right or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat. If someone that we trust says something, we believe it. But if something is true, how far will we go to convince someone else of its truth? Maybe some of you this morning 
are trying to convince your spouse of your love for them. Because your trust has been broken. Maybe some of you this morning cannot understand how you can ever trust your parents again because they have done something or said something to you which no longer allows you to see them in the same way. Maybe some of you are seriously trying to convince someone to have faith in Christ. And maybe there's some of you that are just trying to convince yourself that something is true, but it's just so dadgum hard to believe it. How far would you go to convince someone, anyone, even yourself, that something is true? Because we have all experienced at some point in our lives, at some intersection of our stories, someone has let us down. Someone has lied to us or betrayed us. And trusting them is hard. Trusting people is hard. My two youngest sons, Luke and Calvin, they have this weird obsession right now. Each one of them tries to get the keys of the car that we're getting ready to go to travel in. They fight over it. Who gets to unlock the car? Who gets to put the keys in the ignition? But just yesterday, Calvin, my youngest, asked which car we were going in. I said, we're, we're going to my car. So he went and grabbed the keys and went outside. About five minutes later, he comes back in and he only has two keys in his hand. Neither of these keys are the key to my car. And neither of these keys are the key to the church. Immediately, I said, you don't get to have the keys anymore. Trust had been broken. And it's hard to get trust back. Believing that someone is telling you the truth is hard. Believing in someone who claims to be telling you the truth, yet in our experience, in our context, we ask ourselves, why should we trust them? Who can we really trust? We live in a world where spouses cheat on one another, breaking the covenant. We live in a world where parents betray their children and exploit them. We live in a world where pastors and priests take advantage of their ecclesiastical powers, of people who should trust them, but they're narcissists or pedophiles or adulterers or frauds. We live in a world where relationships are broken, and we have to ask ourselves, who can we really trust? Now, before you answer God, let me ask you this. Is it really easy to trust God? Because something that I've experienced, something that I've lived out, and maybe it's just me, maybe some of you can say that you've experienced true, this to be true, it's actually really hard to trust God. It's actually really hard to believe in God. Sometimes it's a whole lot easier to give the Sunday school answer, God, 
that it truly is to believe God is the answer. It is hard to believe God. And anyone who tells you something else is trying to sell you something. It is hard to believe God. It is hard to believe in God. It's hard to believe the things that God says. It's hard to have faith in God. It is hard to have faith that God will do what he actually said he will do. It is hard to believe in God. I mean, just this morning, the call to, conf- the call to worship. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and horn of my salvation, my stronghold. How easy is it to just read this and not truly believe it? He says that he is for us, but is he? I asked this question. I'm driving home this question this morning because this is the question that Abraham is struggling with. Can I really believe in God? God has promised to bless Abraham. Yet Abraham's faith is fainting. Who can we really believe? Over the past two weeks, we have started a new sermon series called Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. And over the past, oh, and over and two weeks ago, or sorry, over the past two weeks, we've covered a lot of ground. We've gone from Genesis 1 to Genesis 15. Two weeks ago, we looked at Genesis 1. God created all things. And I told you, when we read Genesis 1, it should create in us a longing for the way that things are supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to trust one another without question. Genesis 1 paints us a picture of the grand story of the beginning of all things. God created everything good, and God dwelt with his people. And now Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is bringing people back into that relationship where we can dwell with God, and he is making all things new. Last week, John spoke on Abraham's call in Genesis 12, and he said, God invaded Abram's life and called him to obedience. Now, a lot has happened between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And I want us just to look at a few things, because unless we understand what has happened, we can't understand what is going on in Genesis 15. God has called Abram out of his father's house to believe in God. This is what God says explicitly in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Leave your father's house. To us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But in the ancient Near East, this is a huge deal. His entire inheritance comes from his father. In the ancient Near East, your father's house is your identity. You don't choose to be a farmer in the ancient Near East. You are born a farmer 
or a herdsman or whatever your family did. You were born into your vocation. I remember very early in my life, there were a few vocations that I marked off the list of things that I didn't want to do. We had a family friend who was a mortician. I never knew what he did until we went and visited him at work. And we walked in, and he was preparing someone for their funeral. Mortician was off the list. Another vocation I checked off very early in my life, and I'm sorry, Dad, was the life of construction. During my high school years, every summer, I worked with my dad framing houses. 5.45 a.m., we left. 5.45 p.m., we returned out in the sun all day. Framer, off the list. What was it for you? What vocation did you mark off the list early in your life? You see, Abraham didn't have the choice. You did what your father did. Yet Abraham was called to leave his father's house to the land that God was going to show him. He was removing himself from any list of inheritance. He was leaving everything he knew. This was a big deal. He was 75. No joke. He was the same age as John Sartell. And he left everything. God called him to leave. And what do we see in Genesis 12, 4? So Abraham went as the Lord told him. What extraordinary faith. What extraordinary belief. What extraordinary trust in God's promises. God called him and he obeyed. This is commendable. But then, in just a few verses later, we see this. Now there was famine in the land, Genesis 12, 10. So Abraham went to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his to Sari, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. And let my life be spared for your sake. God had just promised him a blessing of a seed. And Abraham is jeopardizing that blessing. He strayed from the promises of God. He put the promises of God in danger. But what do we see God do? In verse 17, chapter 12, verse 17, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God was faithful to his promise. Because this is what he said in Genesis 12 too. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And those who bless you, I will bless, and I will curse 
those who dishonor you. God is fulfilling his part of the covenant. And then Abraham went back to the land. And after he got back from the land, we see that him and his nephew Lot returned to the land with so many riches and livestock, so much silver and gold, that they can't live together because the land cannot support them. God is blessing them even when he is unfaithful. God is true to his word. And then what happened? Well, Lot gets caught in a bad situation. And Abraham took 318 trained men and saved Lot from an ongoing war. Again, what do we see? God is faithful to his word. God had blessed Abraham with the means of saving Lot. And Abraham used that to bless Lot by saving his life. This might not seem like much, but just between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, we continually see Abraham's faith back and forth, believing God, unbelieving in God. But what is God doing? God is being faithful to his covenant promises. And then what happened next? Well, Abraham was visited by two kings. And I'm sorry, I keep saying Abram and Abraham. His name switches. It's really confusing. But Abram is visited by two kings. One was the king who is also a priest of God Most High, Melchizedek. And he brought bread and wine to celebrate the blessings of God in giving Abraham a victorious battle. And yet we see another king, the king of Sodom, who came to Abram and said, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Again, this might not seem like much, but here the king of Sodom is trying to gain an advantage over Abram. He's trying to gain the upper hand because later he wants to say, Well, I gave you this, so now you owe me. But Abram said to him, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. Least you say, I have made Abram rich. You see, Abram had received blessing from the Lord. He didn't need anything else. Abram had received the blessing of God's priestly king, and he was able to deny the blessings that were only being used to manipulate him by the evil king of Sodom. Well done, Abram. We can look. Abram messed up. Chapter 12, chapter 13 and 14. Abram did well. He was being used by God to bless others. And then chapter 15 begins with the words of God speaking to Abram, Do not fear. You see, those words don't make any sense if we don't know what has happened in the context prior to chapter 15. Think about it. Abraham 
has just turned down a lucrative deal. A king just promised him wealth upon wealth, and Abram turned it down because it wasn't the means in which God was going to use to bless the nations. And Abram's probably having something like reverse buyer's remorse. I don't know what that's called. He could have made a lot of money, but he turned it down because he didn't want this money to rule over him. He didn't want this evil king to have power over him. And God comes to him and says, fear not, I am your shield. And then what does he say? Your reward will be very great. Abram has just turned down a business deal. And God is telling them, well done, my good and faithful servant. This business deal might have been valuable on the front end, but it was not the proper means of being a blessing to the world. How many of you have experienced what Abram is experiencing. You've turned down a job offer, a money deal, because it might have compromised your allegiance to Christ. Yet this is what sin does in our lives. It presents a picture that something seems valuable and good, yet sin takes that and it breaks us. It breaks our allegiance to God and God alone, and it makes us submit to that means rather than using the good things of God as a means to the end. Blessing. But what we find in this passage is not what you might expect happens next. God does not come swooping in when Abram is caught in this time of weakness, God does not come in and condemn him or ridicule him or shame him. Abraham has already believed God, yet Abraham is showing a weakness in his faith. And what does God say? Fear not, I am your shield. How far would you go to convince someone of something that is true? Because here God sought out Abraham to tell him, what I have told you is true. He spoke to him. He made a promise to him. But yet, Abraham's response might not be again what we expect. Let me sum up what Abraham's response is. How can I really know? You promised to bless me. You promised to make me a great nation. You promised to make my name great. You promised me. How can I believe in these promises? You've said it will happen, but how can I be sure? You promised something to me, and here we are. What you got? How many of us have been there? saying 
the refrain the psalmist used over and over. How long, O Lord, until you're good upon your promises? This is what Abraham is asking. You have yet to fulfill your promises to me. Help me in my unbelief. How many of you have heard that this type of questioning is sinful? Maybe someone has told you that if you question God's faithfulness, you're sinning. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Disbelieving God is sinful. But that's not what's going on here. What we see here in Genesis isn't sinful. What Abram is doing isn't sinful. Abraham is seeking for God to give him strength when he needs it. God did not reprimand him. God did not scold him. God came to him. Like a loving father. And not only told him that I love you, not only told him my promises are true, but he gave him a sign. Look at the stars. So shall be your offspring. God gave him a visible sign to strengthen his weakness. It wasn't easy for Abram to believe in God's promises, but that did not keep God from coming and showing up. Because true faith allows for questions. True faith and true belief knows where to go when it's fainting. It runs to the Lord. And he graciously stoops to Abram's weakness. And he meets him in his struggle. And he assures him of his own faithfulness. True faith is enough to receive God's promises. Because the covenant promises are not based on our faith, but upon God's faithfulness. And Abraham believed. And God counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham had nothing, yet God added righteousness to his account. God owed him nothing, yet God blessed him. And Abraham believed God's word. Abraham believed in the promises, and God counted him faithful. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans 4, 3-5, our New Testament reading. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted. His righteousness. This was the means of which God gave Abraham to fill his calling. And it's hard. It's hard to believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. It's hard to believe God. But remember what Paul says at the end of Romans 4. In hope he believed against hope 
that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Good luck, Abram. Since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And this is the same thing that happens in verses 7 to 21. The first sign of the promise was for the seed. The second sign of promise was for the land, and both of which are required for Genesis 12 to come true. God made a covenant with Abram. It shows him that he is faithful. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. God's promises are true. Because God is faithful. God's promise to bless Abraham are true, and he believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Two weeks ago, I told you the original audience of the book of Genesis was actually the Israelites who have just come out of Egypt. So we must consider, how do they hear this story? They are just learning about Abram as they have come out of the Exodus. Think of the power of this story. God has just redeemed them out of Egypt. And they hear these words in Genesis 15, 13 to 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not their own and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Abraham I will bless. But before these promises come true, this is what will happen. Your offspring will sojourn and become slaves. This is their story. This is their history. And God has just redeemed them as he said he would. God's promises are being fulfilled. Then and now for them. God was blessing them in Exodus 1. They were multiplying just as he said that they would. God's promises were coming true. And now Israel is hearing this word, the words of Yahweh. He is for them. He is with them. He has made promises to them, and he is fulfilling them because God is faithful. And now they find themselves in the wilderness. And how will they respond? They were hearing verse 13 for the first time, connecting the dots. Their father's Abram. He was faithful. God kept his promises to him. What should they do? They should respond the same way Abram did. With faith. Yet, unfortunately, while Israel was in the wilderness, it was their frequent lack of faith that we're reminded of. That is what is highlighted. But what's amazing act of God 
his grace was that he continued to be faithful to them, even when they were unfaithful to him. And we must ask ourselves the same question. How do we respond to this story? Because listen to what Paul says at the end of Romans 4. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was, del- who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. How far would you go to convince something, someone that something is true? God came in the flesh to convince us that his promises are true. God didn't reveal himself in a vision or in a pot of fire or smoke like he did Abraham. He came in the flesh and said, I am faithful to my covenant promises in Christ. Genesis 15 is preparing us for Jesus. Because when God was rich in his mercy, his great love, which with it, he loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places. We have ascended with Christ and spiritually sit with him and rule the nations. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are like Abram. We have to take God for his word. These are the covenant promises. First to Abraham, then to his seed, Israel, and then to us. And the promises are being fulfilled. God promised Abram a seed. Jesus is the promised seed. God promised Abram to make him his name great. It is by the great name of Jesus that we believe. It is by the great name of Jesus that the dead are raised. It is by the great name of Jesus that we are baptized. It is by the great name of Jesus that demons are cast out is by the great name of Jesus that every knee will bow. And God promised Abram that he would make him a great nation, implying that there would be land. Now, many Christians today believe that for God to be faithful to this promise, he has to give a physical land of Israel to Israel, the land of Canaan, which is present-day Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Israel. But what they misunderstand is that the land is not the end. It's a means to the end. The land is needed for the kingdom to be present. But in Jesus, the land has expanded over the entire globe. It is no longer a little sliver in the Middle East. It covers all of creation. God promised Abram, in you the families of the entire earth will be blessed. The Holy Land was holy because that is where God was. The non-burning bush was holy because that's where God 
was. Jesus in his Beatitudes does not say simply, you shall inherit the land of Israel. No, under the new covenant of Christ, he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. This passage forces us to ask the same questions the Israelites did in the wilderness. How will we respond to God's covenant promises? Will we respond by faith or disbelief? If you have faith in Jesus, his righteousness is counted to you because he is faithful. God assures you he will never leave you. Even when your faith is weak. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And this is why through him that we utter Amen to the glory of God. No one likes to wait for the promises of God. As the life of Abraham reveals, sometimes God's promises require patience. God's promises require genuine faith. Where does your faith lead you? Do you run to God so that he might strengthen your faith? What does your genuine faith seek after? The genuine faith of Abram sought God, sought the presence of God. And by his grace, he gave him a sign to strengthen his faith. And this is exactly what we have in the Lord's Supper and the Baptism and baptism, the Lord's sacrament. It doesn't represent our good faith. The sacraments represent God's faithfulness to his covenant promise. What does John always say about the Lord's table? This table doesn't represent our accomplishment or our ability. It represents God's promises to his people. God meets us graciously even in the midst of our sin. And he says, fear not, for I am with you. Here we see Abraham has faith in God's promises. It contrasts Adam, who had no faith, and who was kicked out of the land. Abram had faith, and he was promised a land where God was. But Christian, remember this. It is hard to believe in God. It is hard to take him at his word. But God has made good on his promises in Christ. And he has promised to never leave you, for he is faithful. Let's pray.